0: To this 12 hour podcast extravaganza. I'm your host, Paul Sidorian. I'm joined here by my other illustrious co hosts, Larry Pessy, John Strand, Mick Douglas, and even Twitchy is in the studio right now. I'm very excited. He eats apples. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) We are going to get started with our PCI compliance roundtable. This one's titled Good PCI Compliance. Good luck or good riddance, and we've got many points of discussion, and I'm also joined by my fabulous panel of PCI experts. I have with me Ron Gula from Tenable Network Security.
1: Glad to be here,
0: Paul. I have also with us Mandeep Kera from Senzik. Thanks for having me, Paul. Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast.
2: Congratulations on
0: making it to 150 Paul. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, Rich Mogul, also from the Network Security Podcast, and Securosis. Hey, Paul. And Anton Chubakin from Qualys.
3: Happy to be here. Promise to be
0: very exciting. Yes. So I will just go uh, in order as I have them listed on uh, the website here. And notice my employer is at the top, (laughs) by no mistake. (laughs) So, um, some of the questions that I have uh, for discussion are uh, about PCI. You know, we debate this a lot, right? Uh, There's blogs, there's Twitter, um, podcasts, discussions amongst professionals. We go through the and and debate PCI compliance. And I think one of the hottest topics for for debate is, you know, is it really useful and beneficial to us? And I think there's a lot of mixed answers um, on that. So. You know, I kind of want to start by going around to everyone for approximately five minutes, um, you know, to talk about what elements of PCI really help organizations protect their sensitive information and, um, you know, uh, items about PCI um, that maybe you would make an improvement. So, it's kind of a two-fold thing. Talk about PCI and its benefits and then some areas where you would make improvement. So, we'll start with Ron. Go ahead, Ron.
4: Cool. So, One of the things I'm seeing out with organizations who don't have a sophisticated security program is they're using the PCI hammer as a way to get a lot of things done that they can't normally get done. So so PCI at the end of the day is mostly for, for servers, places where you have the sensitive data. I'm hearing people do things like scanning the secretary's desktop against PCI standards, even though she has nothing to do with credit card transactions just to basically say, you know, her laptop or computer isn't compliant with that standard. Gee, let's at least meet that baseline. So even though it has nothing to do with that, they're using the, the, the fear of not being compliant or the, the worthiness of a PCI as a way to get people to patch systems, you know, run antivirus, you know, do the kind of basic things that they should be doing. Now, having said that, the thing that I'm looking for PCI down the road is to adopt a lot more uh, let's just say stringent uh, standards such as the uh, XCCDF standard that the federal government's using. If we can start getting uh, PCI to actually specifically say, you know, how computers are supposed to be configured and not just have these higher level type of uh, type of guidelines, it'd be a lot easier for the vendors to have a very, very exact test and not be so much, uh, you know, maybe one vendor tests a certain way and another vendor tests another way. I'm really curious to hear what everybody else has to say on this topic as well.
0: Sure. Um, so, if you could make one improvement to PCI, what would it be?
4: Oh, I, I think they should There's start doing uh, so credential analysis on, right? yeah. and not rely on remote vulnerability testing.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Mandeep, over to you. Okay. So, I think I have, what, 10 minutes now since... Nah.
1: <laughs> I don't need that much time either. So, I think my my perspective on PCI, you know, obviously you have to look at the standard more holistically. So, hopefully... I think to answer your first question, which is how does PCI help organizations protect sensitive information? Hopefully all 12 requirements were created to protect sensitive information. Otherwise, otherwise, why would you have them in there? So I think whether it's network firewalls and password strands or wireless security or encryption, physical security, application security, et cetera, I mean, you have to have all of those done. So I think the question you have to ask is, which one gives you the biggest bang for the buck? Uh, but you do need most of it. Um, so for example, most companies, um, you know, in a lot of different statistics, uh, we're finding that 90% plus of the companies have network firewalls and antivirus type of stuff in place already. Uh, but there are very few companies doing anything about web app security. So the question is, where do you put the money to get the biggest bang for the buck from security point of view? Now, PCI Council also released a document recently on a prioritized approach. To help companies figure out which measures to take first. Uh, but again, you have to look at the the number one priority there, which is uh, things like uh, cardholder data, right, which is they're saying don't keep the cardholder data. But that might not be pragmatic because uh, Visa and MasterCard require that data uh, from uh, uh, in case of disputes, right. So, so those types of things need to be looked at. In terms of improvements, um, you just need one.
0: What's that? Yeah, just but, one. Just, I'm yeah. asking
1: the question, you're just asking for one? So, <laughs> so I well, the biggest I one. The biggest There's one, so yeah, let's go with the biggest one. Okay. Yeah, so what's I think the biggest big thing? Something that Ron mentioned earlier, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of second that, which is really be specific on the guidelines. Um, you know, when, once you start penalizing uh, companies for not being compliant, you can't be vague about things. I mean, I think a lot of the clauses within PCI standard are are a little bit ambiguous and which causes a lot of issues, uh, both for uh, the credit card issuers as well as um, the merchants. So I think that needs to be fixed. And also they need to explain, you know, you can't throw technology at the problem and you'll you'll get all the answers. I mean, you have to think of people, processes and technology. And this whole notion of safe harbor and all that stuff needs to be clarified as well. Is it, were you validating at, at that given point? Is compliance a one-time thing? Is it an ongoing thing? All those things need to be very, very clear. Otherwise, you'll always run into problems like we recently had.
0: Excellent. Uh, Martin? Now is the point where I might actually
2: take up their time as well as my own.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, so let's get, let's get the bad stuff about PCI out of the way first. It's an immature uh, um, process. It's immature all around, as well as, I, as myself. It's all about transfer of risk. It's, it's getting that risk away from the credit card companies and from the acquiring banks to the people who are closest to the collection of data, the uh, merchants. That, that could be argued as a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and by the way, a point, um, Visa and MasterCard don't generally require a merchant to keep the credit card number, that's actually coming from the acquiring bank, yeah. the people who are giving them the money, um, but that's a minor thing. Um, on the other hand, the good stuff about PCI is that it's setting some guidelines. It's giving some people uh, some ideas of how to, to uh, meet a baseline of security. It's setting those baselines. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time out there with a number of different merchants, service providers, and, and uh, worked as a security manager, and quite frankly, a lot of times I'm seeing even hitting those baselines is hard for companies. So if they can at least get up to that sort of a, of a baseline security level, then I think uh, PCI is doing its job. And you look at what um, the recent 2009 uh, uh, breach survey by Verizon said, uh, it looks like it may be working. I mean, there's, there's a lot more slicing and dicing of the data to do, but I think it's working.
0: Um, that's it. Excellent. Rich? Oh, oh, sorry, Martin, were you done?
2: Well, you wanted an improvement.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Um, Sorry. You know, it's a really
2: difficult balancing act between being too prescriptive and saying you must do X and giving people the the flexibility to be their own business. And I, I think that's an improvement that they need to make in the communication, not necessarily a change they need to make to the PCI DSS itself but communicate what's acceptable and, and what sort of risk versus reward we need to be taking into account in making some of these decisions.
0: Excellent. Rich?
6: Yeah, so Martin covered, a uh, uh, no surprise, a lot of the things that, that I tend to like to talk about as well, and it's probably because Martin and I rail on this pretty much uh, weekly uh, over on our show and, and in our private discussions and probably in our sleep and, you know, it annoys mm-hmm. our wives and everything else. Um, you know, the fundamental problem is, is it's a risk transfer mechanism. It really wasn't designed completely to make all the endpoints secure. Uh, it was designed to push a lot of that risk out. Although I had an interesting conversation with Michael Don, who's responsible, as you guys know, for training pretty much every PCI assessor on the face of the planet, who he thought also the a risk transfer mechanism, but he thought because the merchants and the and the um, acquiring banks actually bear the cost of of any fraudulent transactions, it was actually shoving the risk from then down into... Uh, into other areas of the merchants and kind of evening things out. So a little bit more positive review. My criticisms of PCI have been that, you know, first of all, it, it, this is fine. It, it's just putting a bunch of Band-Aids on like an arterial bleed. I don't think PCI itself is ever going to be able to solve these problems because as much as we want to layer in security on, we're layering it on an incredibly weak uh, and, an, uh, you know, an incredibly inadequate process, how we handle our max stripe credit card transactions today. Uh, And it's that fundamental transaction processing that needs to be fixed via, you know, not just something like chip and PIN, but actually restructuring how we do the, how we do the card transactions in the first place. Uh, And I think that's the only way that we're actually going to reduce fraud down to more acceptable levels again. Now, in terms of improving PCI, I'm going to agree with Martin, I think, and he spent probably a year and a half convincing me that PCI isn't all evil that it actually does force organizations to review and improve security they might have ignored otherwise. What I'd like to see is more accountability in the system. So, we see organizations who are PCI compliant getting breached all the time. That, that really doesn't give us a lot of faith in the system and in PCI as a certification. Uh, it's actually going to shoot itself in the foot as the business executives say, hey, we're PCI compliant. Why do we keep getting breached? Uh, as well as more accountability for uh, for assessors and uh, organizations for that actually certify organizations that are not PCI compliant. We see that happening all the time. And, uh, you know, the problems with, with companies going out and, and low-ball shopping for the cheapest uh, assessor who will actually go ahead and certify them. And so I think until we figure, get some of those internal issues cleaned up, PCI is going to have a hard time keeping any
3: respect.
0: Excellent. Anton?
3: Okay. Uh, actually, I was listening to really awesome points Uh, from other speakers. So at this point, I want to focus on the fact that PCI's main value is motivation. Recently, I was uh, actually at this RSA. I was at a conference when uh, one speaker said that he's been in security for 20 years, and he has not seen anything move people towards security at, at at an intensity of PCI. And I like to say that some people slept through viruses in the 90s. They slept through worms in the late 90s, early 2000s. They, they are sleeping through breaches now. But even those people who, all those events for the last 15 years did not get them to focus on security started to do that actually because of PCI. So to me, PCI is a huge sledgehammer a baseball bat or something of that sort that really woke up a lot of people. Now, certainly some people, while still sleepy, uh, they woke up, being, they're woken up by PCI and now they're trying to follow all sorts of uh, mythology and voodoo about how PCI is guaranteed to make them secure, all the way to, hey, we filed our paperwork. Why have we been breached? So to me, the value of PCI is not always in how the guidance is phrased and how QSA program is working or whatever else. It's mostly in the fact that PCI woke up a lot of people who who didn't wake up because of all sorts of other compelling events. Now uh, that's one thing to remember. And uh, when, when people criticize PCI for being a distraction, for being just a checklist, uh, some of those comments and concerns uh, are definitely <clears throat> definitely stemming from facts, not just from opinion. But think about PCI as a motivator. And so far, I have not seen any credible criticism of PCI as a motivator. Now, for some people would say that it motivated them to do the wrong thing. In most cases, or I would maybe venture a guess that in all cases, they did do the wrong thing themselves. It's not like PCI made them do it. And uh, definitely, I think that uh, PCI's prescriptive nature and detailed nature is an awesome thing. And I I do not believe that people can be motivated by purely outcome-based guidance when their goal is just to be secure, as opposed to do these things. Now, some people would abuse the detailed prescriptive guidance, and they would do the, not just the minimum, but minimum minus, the PCI minus model, so to say.
0: Right. And um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Anton. Did you have one more point? I, I have Rich Mogul okay. begging me to respond. one improvement. Okay, go ahead. Sorry,
3: I actually. Uh, so, one thing to improve, uh, that's actually very simple. Public metrics that prove PCI helps security.
0: Right. Okay. Rich, you you wanted so, to uh, respond?
3: It, yeah, I, mean, I was like fighting my tongue over here. So, Anton,
6: you said, you know, that... Uh, and please correct me on, because I'm sure I'm going to word this uh, improperly. That you've never seen any valid criticism of PCI as a motivator. Would, would that be an accurate
5: Yes, that's correct.
6: Okay, uh, I would have to disagree completely. I think a lot of the criticisms there is that it has motivated people to take a checklist methodology to their security uh, of their card uh, of their cardholder data, and there's you know very ample evidence that, that many organizations lowball shop. Uh, play games with the with the QSAs, and, and yes, it's their decision to to do that. But because of the inherent way the PCI system is, is constructed, there's no penalties for them taking that approach. So uh, that could be fixed. They they could make changes as we were talking about in terms of not allowing QSAs to go ahead and certify organizations who lowball, uh, raising the standards for the remote vulnerability assessment. I'm with Ron. These need to be credential scans, not just random scans and those sorts of things. But I'd say that's a very valid criticism of PCI as motivated
1: So if I can, this, this is Mandeep, if I can uh, add something and sure. actually support Anton on this, which is, you know, in, even though people are not doing the right things, uh, if you think about pre-PCI, they weren't doing anything. So it is a good motivation for them to move forward. Thanks I for think my reading, Mandeep. <laughs> <I'm, laughs> you my response. Oh. Good, perfect, see, I knew it. <laughs> so I think the issue is, you know, if people are following through with it incorrectly, that's what needs to be fixed. The implementation guidelines need to be fixed. The, the, the standard itself is a good motivation.
6: Yeah, but, you know, what's, now it's giving people a false sense of security. So before we're, you know, again, we have a standard. They go to meet the standard. They take a checklist approach. Now, now, I agree, of course, you know, definitely this has raised interest. It's definitely we've gotten additional funding. Ron, we talked about that earlier. We've been able to lump a bunch of things in that needed to be done, and maybe these organizations wouldn't have done it before. But now, if somebody is PCI compliant, it makes it all that much harder for the security guys to do anything above and beyond PCI. So, again, I just think the standard needs to be updated to allow that, but I think there, there are negative motivation results as well as positive. We can't just, you know, pretend so, that it's all good the way that it's structured and, and gaining interest.
0: Actually, I so I okay. So let's uh, let's take okay. it from here. Mick. Mick, the did you ha- let Let's give Mick a chance to to respond. Mick, did you have something? Yeah,
5: yeah. Because um, dovetailing in excellently with when people see that they hit that PCI compliance, they feel that they've had they've crossed a the finish line. This is open for the entire panel. What are some things that we as security professionals can do to help them understand that that's not just the end game? That there's more to security than just PCI compliance. Yeah,
0: that kind of ties into with my, you know, with my question about, um, you know, when people uh, have an audit or perform a scan on their own, and they it comes back as PCI compliant, and they think I'm secure, right? Like, how do we? educate them in, in, in how do we um, counteract that a uh, feeling of false sense of security. I guess That's you know different. what you know what we'll do? I'll tell you what. We'll go right around start from the top with Ron and then we'll go to each person. Five minutes. <laughs> idea. Nice uh, idea. Go ahead, Ron.
4: Cool. So so yeah, I'll be brief again. But you know the, I think the big thing is it's one thing to be compliant and it's another completely different thing to demonstrate compliance. And I have a lot of organizations where they almost spend more money on demonstrating compliance than than being compliant, mm-hmm. and it seems like a tactical thing. But if you're a IT, you know risk risk manager, or you're you're like a CISO or, or chief policy, what whatever it is, you know, if you have to get a budget to to buy a service, buy a product, whatever, that might be the biggest thing on your plate. You know, actually running antivirus is somebody else's problem. So. You know, as far as motivating and things like that, it, it might have caused people to do different things, but it's one of those two different things. You know, are you demonstrating compliance or are you trying to be
0: compliant? Okay. Mandy? Yes,
1: yeah, so I think, you know, I've been asked this question a number of times. Hey, I'm PCI compliant, so I'm secure, right? And and I say, oh, sure, and and it'll make coffee for you every day, too. So <laughs> I, I think you just have to ask Hartland, Hannaford, and a bunch of others, right? So we all know a certificate does not give you security, and I've always maintained Follow the fundamentals for securing your infrastructure, network, application, desktop, all that. Follow with right policies, right processes, right people, and right technologies. And all the compliance issues will fall in place. And, and that's not just for PCI, but any regulation from Gramm-Leach-Bliley to AB-1950 to HIPAA or anything else. If you're doing the things right, compliance will always fall in place. It doesn't work the other way.
5: hmm
2: Okay. Wow, I, I, I couldn't Martin? have said that better myself. Because uh, I, I feel the exact same way about it. If you are, if you're a company that's trying to be secure, the compliance is going to fall in place. I mean, I, I've been to quite a number of companies where they're just trying to meet the checkbox, and those people are going to try and meet a checkbox no matter where you set the bar. Um, it's the company; those are the companies though, that have a lot of problems meeting with with payment card industry data security standards. On the other hand, the companies that are just saying, okay, we're going to do what we need to do to be secure, those companies usually find meeting PCI compliance uh, fairly easy. And uh, I, th- I think we, what we need to do going forward, though, is reframe the conversation about PCI and about compliance and make sure that people understand it's a lot easier if you, you just start it from a standpoint of, I'm going to make my business secure, and I'll meet the compliance along the way.
5: Yep.
0: Rich?
6: Yeah, I mean, I... I have to agree completely. You know, the, the, having covered compliance since before PCI existed, and, and I even remember the Visa CISP days, um, when uh, which is what PCI actually derived from. You know, if you focus on good security, odds are you're going to be be compliant. You're going to be more efficient at it. Now, Ron, though, brought up a really great point: is that, or there's uh, a very heavy cost associated in many organizations with demonstrating compliance, and that's why I think if you take kind of a you know, I hate to throw a term out there, but it's but a, a good compliance management approach where as you're going through and doing all of your security, you also make sure you appropriately document that. That way you're not going to have to double up those efforts to pay more for audit costs. As well as there are some specific investments, depending on what regulations you're dealing with, organizations can make to kind of knock off some of the associated audit costs with some of the regulations. So focus on the security, but don't just focus on the security. Also make sure you're documenting that. Because you're going to need to provide that documentation as part of any audit process.
0: Anton,
3: okay, actually that's it's, that's all perfect. And at some point, uh, the amount of uh, pointifications we do to make get people to do think security first, security first, compliance as a result. At some point, uh, recently I started thinking that despite this being common sense to most everybody in the security industry, this message unfortunately uh, is failing. I mean, I've seen, I wrote this blog post called, uh, called the Tales from Compliance First World, where I try to study why people, despite all this noise about security first compliance as a why people do take the compliance first approach. And I, I, now I know why. Because compliance to them is easier to demonstrate than security. They don't have any metrics for security, but they do have metrics for compliance. Well, the certificate is kind of a metric for them. So I, I think that the, one, of the, one of the steps... We can take to make people think security first at, in their heart, as opposed to compliance first on their checklist, is to make them make it easier to measure security.
4: Yep. Hey, this is Ron. If I could, if I could add on to that a little bit, sure. something I see really frightening from a metrics point of view is the is the data loss DB project, where basically, you know, you don't have to be uh, the the front page headline to have uh, you know your your customer data stolen. You can just be an entry in that in that public database. And the effect I'm seeing it's having, well, this is happening to everybody. So why should I really worry about being secure? Everybody's having these kind of problems. Very, very negative backlash I've seen for non-security people looking at that data.
0: So um, there seems to be much debate about the various components of PCI. And It seems every time I read or post something on PCI, it, it, it sparks a little bit of debate when you know we talk about really what is it, come down to to be uh, compliant, and really what does that mean? So uh, maybe we could go around the panel um, and, and talk about some of the elements that create confusion and um, some ways to help people better understand um, what it means to be compliant. Ron?
4: Well, start with Martin, because I think Martin is the only person on the panel who's actually been a PCI auditor.
0: Sure. Go ahead, Martin.
2: <laughs> um, well, you know, I guess it helps if I take myself off of mute. Um the big thing is, is that that you've got to meet. I mean, first of all, there's the letter of the law. You've got to meet the intent of what's in the requirement. So, uh, if it says you've got to have a firewall at sensitive access points, you've got to have a firewall there. Now, what what constitutes a sensitive access point or, or a, a WAN point might be up to some some um, interpretation with your QSA, and quite frankly, that's one of the, the issues we're we're looking at. A what's trying to be a prescriptive must-have sort of a requirement in a uh, uh, sorry I'm getting a lot of echo in a world where there's so many different uh, variations that there's that no matter how good of a job they do framing it there's going to be some people who don't fit uh, and that's but why. But doesn't, you know, doesn't that the, also
0: the, mean that you know I can almost always become compliant if sensitive data entry points is up to interpretation?
2: What it well there's a lot of there I mean. The problem is, is it always depends. That's the first, uh, first two words that a QSA learns. Is it depends. Um, your situation is going to vary. Uh, if you, if you're making your, your network secure and it's not with a traditional model, as long as we can prove and write up the, the compensating cor- control worksheets and make it very clear to your acquiring bank, the Visa, the Mastercard, that uh, you're securing the data chances are we might be able to, to uh, push something that's non-standard uh, through all of those people and, and uh, make them realize that you've done it without the standard model. On the other hand, in most cases, people need to be sticking to just uh, what's exactly what's written in the, the PCI DSS because it's a baseline. It's, it's a minimum standard, and my experience has been most people aren't hitting that minimum standard right now, and that's why you need that prescriptive uh, baseline to make sure people have hit it.
7: John, did you have a question for the panel? Yeah, one of the things that, that we keep coming back to as far as the theme, and I, and I hate to be a devil's advocate in this situation, but I, I really want to hit it, is it's been mentioned a couple of times if an organization wants to. If an organization wants to, and the organizations that try to do things correctly are going to be fine. The ones who really don't want to try and part of becoming PCI compliant won't. Is it even necessary to have this standard? Because one of the things that I'm very much concerned about anytime we have any standard like this is that the standard itself is actually quite worthless. Because the people that do what they're supposed to are going to continue to do that, as they have done in the past. And the people that don't want to, won't.
4: Where is this list of correctness and do what's right? Uh, Let me me know where that is first.
7: But but do you believe that PCI is that list of correctness? Because we've already said no, that compliance I mean, John, does not equal PCI having is, it secure. Would, John,
6: so, that, uh, PCI if you is part of that list, go ahead, Rich. I mean, it, 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 this is Rich. PCI is you know totally part of that list. I mean, there's a lot of good things in there. Uh, they're not necessarily written in the best way or anything else. You know, they wanted to get some sort of a baseline that they can keep cranking down. You know, I'm going to go back to uh, it's flat out. I think we should just toss this and, and come up with a better way of securing transactions in the first place. But it's clearly too late for that. Mm-hmm. But I think anytime we get into the prescriptive security controls. You know, we, we have this with every regulation. Either there are no check boxes, in which case we had something like Sarbanes-Oxley when it first came out, which became a free-for-all for the auditor, uh, and, and nobody knew what to do, and it kept throwing in ridiculous stuff like disaster recovery was part of Sarbanes-Oxley. On the other hand, anytime and everybody, by the way, screams and cries that they want to have checklists. On the other mm-hmm. hand, once the checklist is out, everybody does minimal compliance and they only, they only yep. do what they have to for the checklist. And so, you know, really... The, realistically I, I I hate to be like a fatalist, but but there's no middle ground <laughs> that we've seen. So we end up falling into one bucket or the other. We raise awareness and then hopefully enough people get breached that eventually we get up to some sort of a better uh, a better standard. You know, we can always talk about risk based approaches, but those those never work. I mean I've never seen one of those effectively
3: implemented. Actually so maybe that's the big the next big question to debate is how is prescriptive always checklisty or and is outcome-based always vague? So is, is there a middle ground? I, I, I don't, the fact that I don't know the such middle ground, to me, does not mean that it doesn't exist. So maybe our collective brain power can do something and maybe have some suggestions. Like, for example, a couple of days ago, I've seen a post on Brandon Williams' blog where he suggested to have two PCI options, prescriptive if you know if you don't know what you're doing versus risk-focused based on ISA, for example, if you do know what you're doing. That type of stuff. Who knows, that maybe it's
6: yeah, but nobody knows what they're doing. Come on, Anton, let's be realistic here. You know, the fact is, is that any of these things are prescriptive measures that cost organizations money. Uh, anything that's risk-based, anything that's checklist-based, somebody's going to game the system. Uh, they've, we've done it with financial regs. We've done it with, I mean, every single part of society where we have these regulations. Now, what happens is, though, if you don't have any regulations, we find that people do nothing. Uh, or, you know, they generally don't. But, for example, fire codes you think we wouldn't need fire code. So if we didn't have fire code, people wouldn't put fire extinguishers in the buildings, wouldn't keep them up to date, wouldn't put sprinkler systems in. So we come up with some sort of a baseline. You know what? A whole bunch of people end up failing despite that baseline. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a few
0: other people pay attention. But if there's no consequences to failing the baseline, why have the baseline? Right? Well, like yeah. the consequences, I, I, like I, I live uh, a few miles down the road from where they had the station fire. Mm-hmm. And we had fire codes in Rhode Island, but there was still a disastrous fire with horrible consequences. So how do we change the model such that there are actual consequences for not being compliant? But
1: isn't that, isn't that what, the, what, what the penalties are supposed to do, though? I mean, whether it's for fire, uh, fire hazard or for uh, uh, security. I mean, that's why they have penalties in place and, and follow through and auditors and all that stuff, right? So, I mean, so there, there is uh, a check in place to measure all that. Are people doing it diligently? Probably not.
7: One of, the, one of the things that bothers me about the checks associated with PCI compliance, and I mean, you know, I am somebody who makes a partially my living off of this, is that as a secu- doing security assessments, doing penetration tests, you go into an organization, and one of the concerns that a lot of people that do assessments, these auditors, quote-unquote, are very afraid of, is if you go in and you tell your customer that you've completely screwed up, this environment is completely hosed from tip to tail, they're going to say thank you very much, and they're never going to bring you back again. So one of the things that if you look at other standards, like we talk about fire standards, is the fire marshal is independent of the people that he's actually assessing. So those people cannot hold that person accountable. So the fire marshal shows up. They say, you know what? This building is unsafe, and the organization has to do something about it. They can't just fire the fire marshal or invite them not invite them back into the building. So my, my question still stands is this providing any value or are we continuing to play a shell game because honestly my customers that want to do it right they continue to try to do it right the ones who just want to do the checklist will just absolutely meet the minimum and i strongly believe that that is little to no improvement over no security whatsoever
2: so what? there are sorry Claire there are consequences I and mean, the the fact is there are consequences for merchants who get uh, compromised there there are raised fees for Uh, auditors who um, pass a company that shouldn't have been passed, uh, they can get put on the PCI Council's remediation list. There were three, uh, it may be down to two now, but there are three QSA companies that were put on that list. Uh, We don't necessarily see the consequences directly because, quite frankly, the merchant banks, Visa, MasterCard, the card companies, and um, most of all the merchants don't want us to see they're trying. This is an immature standard. It's still got a long way to go till we have very concrete numbers about what's working and what doesn't. Um, they're gradually working into um, making it so that they have more teeth. But the, the truth is, if they jumped into it too quickly, they would have just swamped a number of merchants and they would have been gone. And that's not something anybody wants, especially in in uh, the current economic times. So I I just think that people aren't directly seeing some of the consequences of. Of businesses that aren't meeting with PCI or are being compromised, but there it is there.
1: And I would and I go back to this point I was making earlier, which is you know you have to look at the spirit of the standard. I mean, if the intent of the standard is good, I think the requirements are good. If the implementation is lacking, that's where we need to fix. So, for example, you use the auditors example, right? So, if auditors have a conflict of interest because they're being paid by that same client whom, if you fail, they'll never bring you back, then maybe we need to have independent auditors paid by PCI Council that gets funded somewhere else. So that's an implementation issue. But I think the spirit and the gu- of the guideline is very, very good, and I think we should, we should keep that in mind.
3: Actually, that's, that's exactly the issue. That I mean, we have, we have been saying this for many, many years, and everybody, look at the spirit, focus on the data, focus on security. So I, I think this message is perfectly common sense. And it's also a complete failure because people are just not doing it. They're looking at checklists they're minimizing everything. So I think it's, we have to change because it's, clearly that, it's clear to me that it's just saying, hey, look at the spirit, focus on data security, just isn't working. People are just doing exactly the opposite. So uh, I guess uh, maybe we should try something else instead because I've been saying it, you've been saying it for many years, and the result is exactly the opposite. People do the checklist minimum thing.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, I want to I go back
6: and, you know, John, what you were saying before about, how do we actually fix this? I think there are things we can do. And again, you know, look, I'm, I've never been the biggest fan of PCI, but uh, I think there still are things we can do within the standard to address the, the issues you bring up, which is the lack of accountability. Uh, and there's a couple of ways that you can do this. So one would be, and probably would be the most effective, is to actually target the QSAs themselves. So as uh, negative events come up, um, uh, you know, people get breached post-PCI certification or even put in a QA process. Uh, which would be tough to do because there's already a lot of problems within the QSA system uh, in terms of certain organizations, uh, and one in particular kind of dominating it and and being able to use it for business advantage. So throw that aside, building more accountability under the QSA side so that it's harder for somebody to shop for the minimum, Uh, I think that would be a great first step. Uh, There's been discussion. PCI has three people or three organizations that are kind of on watch right now, but until you actually, you know, hang somebody from the gallows, I don't think that's going to change anything. And once we change that, changing how some of the penalties and other things go, I think hanging every organization out to dry who's PCI certified and then later gets breached really isn't the right way to do this. Uh, I think that that they need to take a different approach uh, in terms of um, being able to do, you know, post-assessment QA, doing continuous controls, evaluations, maybe some random spot checking once per year, you know, a a number of other things that that can improve the process. But plot out, the way, way it is right now, Martin said it's an immature process. It needs a lot of work. Uh, and, and, John, as someone you've done this, you know, you do this all the time. You've clearly identified some of those, those issues.
0: So uh, a- another question for the panel that I thought was interesting is, um, you know, who do you fear more, the hacker or the auditor? And, uh, you know, why should we, you know, what are the differences, I guess, between um, the things that we fear from the hacker and the things that we fear from the auditor, and shouldn't those be the same things? Well, an I fear is an unknown inapt- cost, and a hacker is an unknown
4: cost. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, Go was, ahead. I was to say, I fear an inapt hacker a lot less than I fear an, an, uh, an inapt auditor. An inapt <laughs> auditor. It a costs me a lot more money. <laughs> that would right. make sense. A skilled <laughs> hacker, I'm never going to see coming.
0: Right, right. Exactly.
4: But
3: I was actually, I mean, this was kind of a question I tossed in the mix, and so... Uh, the reason I toss it in the mix is that I was quite shocked that whenever I would ask that question, uh, hoping to stir some controversy, people would say, uh, well, there is no controversy. Clearly, it's the auditor. Our bosses just say, oh, we're not going to get hacked. Why why, why be concerned? So, so this whole unknown cost argument is clear to us, but it's completely oblivious to a whole bunch of other people who say, well, unknown cost, you mean zero, right? And so for auditors, they see the cost and they say, okay, so may might get hacked, it might not get hacked, we don't think it will happen, audit is next month. Yeah. To me, that was a big shock. That I, I, I was thinking, well, I was, I'm going to take a poll, see how many people would go with this, with that, and the poll would always comes up with, sorry, auditor, 100%. Yeah,
7: yeah, and I think that that kind of speaks to the state of what we're dealing with. I mean, it kind of gets to the point that maybe people are less concerned about actually being secure and far more concerned about actually meeting the checkbox, meeting the compliance.
1: No, that's true, because I think but auditors, auditors are real, right? I mean, they have a timeline. They're coming in to review. Yep. They'll give you a pass or fail grade. With hackers, most people have this ostrich mentality. I mean, I've, I've talked to a bunch of people who said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do anything about security because I haven't been hacked. And I just look at them and say, how do you know? And there's always a long silence. And then you know, they, they still don't know the answer. And their issue is, look, if we fail audit, you know, the CSO or CIO will get fired. Uh, hacking, I can point fingers at different people and say, it was his problem or that person's problem, and and I don't have to worry about it. And I might not even know if I've been hacked for another 18 months.
7: Or as we -hmm. we mentioned earlier, hackers almost become like a state, uh, like a force of nature. It's like, oh, there's nothing we could have done about it. It's like a hurricane. Right, exactly. Well,
5: Well, to me, what it sounds like is that the people are fearing the auditors more because they're the only form of security metrics that they have at that organization. I forget Mm. who which of the panelists said that earlier, (laughs) but see, here's the thing. If that's the only way upper management can measure security by compliance or not versus, um, you know, When they've been compromised or not, or what sort of events they've been dealing with from a security framework, I think we, as the propeller heads, have been failing the organization.
7: I like that. I like that. Because the point is, basically, if this is your sole indicator of whether or not you're secure, is this compliance and PCI, whether it's PCI, whether it's HIPAA, whether it's any of these very high-level certification goals, you're in trouble in, as an organization cuz good security is good security regardless of whatever certification umbrella that well, you Let me
4: under. let me turn that around for a second. So so Tenable's been going around doing these roundtables with the PCI thing. So Marcus Raymond and I have been going out and and doing these talks with 10 or 15 people in each city and there's this Harvard case study that we're putting out called boss someone stole our data. And basically it starts off with the secret Service and the bank calling this vendor saying We're seeing uh, we have a batch of 10,000 credit cards that we know are compromised. 15% of them were used at your store. You might want to check something. Mm -hmm. And that just causes causes a whole bunch of you know what to fall downhill. They go down on the CIO. They start talking to the uh, you know the the physical security different things like that, looking for anything and lamenting over maybe contracting these customers and things like that. They don't have a SIM. They don't have an IDS. They don't have these policies. and the CIO makes these statements like, we're 75% compliant and things like that. What's really interesting is we're having these conversations with large organizations and small organizations, and there's still a lot of ambiguity about what should you do in a situation like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, Ron kind of touches on a point. You know, we, we come up with these compliance standards that says you must have this, you must have that. You know, what does PCI do to address the process issues? Because, I mean, most of us will agree that security is all about process. And and what are some improvements we can make in that area?
2: You know, Paul, one of my biggest complaints about PCI since the very beginning is that policies were put in as an afterthought. They were put in as as Section 12. And quite frankly, for most businesses, if they start by looking at their policies and let all the decisions about which technology and uh, which portions of which tools they're going to use to meet which portions of PCI and just which portions of making their business secure, they'd be doing so much better than the people who are trying to go through the checklist and mark them off one at a time.
3: Actually, does anybody know the mystery to why policy? is always number one when you plan your security strategy, but it's number 12. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm sure there is all sorts of folklore, dark rumors, whatever, that explains this one. I personally do not know.
0: I thought it was black magic. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh, black magic. Okay, maybe so. Black magic made them put it on as number twelve. Okay.
0: Well, it, if, my under- if you want my opinion, it's because mm-hmm. it's easier to hit all those other points and become compliant. And policy and procedures is really hard. You know, here's an example that I heard from an no, actual. I
3: agree. It's easier to write one document than to deploy a firewall. Well, that's exactly the opposite.
0: Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I
3: can write a policy right now, but. Well, and, when, and, and I'm not just
0: talking about policy. I'm talking about actually p- implementing process, right? So it's easy to ha- oh, well, say, well, you well, know, my yeah. data goes through a firewall. And a story from a penetration tester was, you know, they had a firewall in the rack in the data center and they drilled a hole in one side and a hole out the other side and they fed an Ethernet cable through the firewall and plugged it directly into the switch. And they say, well, we're compliant because my data goes through that the firewall.
3: That is cool. That's cool. <laughs> it be on Twitter in five seconds. Please, somebody post it. So this would totally beat my Dell label with the firewall. Uh, Dell box with the firewall label story. This is better.
0: So the um, yeah. So I mean, uh, my point is, you know, creating policy and procedures doesn't you know cause you to go out and buy any capital. Um, so why are not more the people putting it? Have to either. What's that?
2: In a a lot of cases, PCI doesn't have to either. I mean, a lot of the the cases of PCI where people are telling you you have to buy new equipment, they're just wrong. A lot of the PCI requirements, you have all the equipment, you have everything in place to do it, and if you don't, uh, a lot of them can be met through open source and minimal uh, uh, hardware implementation.
0: So it's more it's more speaks to the the configuration.
6: Martin, plug your ears. Um, You know, there are organizations who are responsible for certifying companies that also sell them security products and services. Now, in the financial industry, that is a major no-no. It's known as a conflict of interest. Your financial auditor um, cannot sell you any other financial products. There's absolutely no incentive for them other than to go ahead and get you um, and um, do a, perform a proper audit. Uh, of course, they play games and stuff, but they can't actually sell you services. That's completely broken. So uh, I'll, be, I'll be trying not to get Martin fired because so I won't mention certain companies, but you know, one in particular is known for selling tons of services and products in this space, as well as for certifying those organizations. Now, I think the individual assessors tend to be very ethical, but there is an incentive there, and, and that's really a broken part of the system.
2: Can I unplug my ears now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Martin. I, 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 I will take the fifth and yeah, probably okay. another fifth afterwards.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> so, oh, come on, you, some of the, I mean, you know, Ron, you're involved with a lot of assessors. I don't know how the rest of you feel about that, but I think that's another thing that needs to be fixed in the system that whoever performs the assessments for organizations should not be able to offer them any other products or services yeah, relating
3: to this security. is this is doable. This is, this is just like way down the problem list as far as the whole uh, compliance, security, and other stuff. Because, I mean, sometimes people do need to buy stuff. And uh, I'm sure the wall can be built between different organi- different business units in the organizations. I've heard some examples where this wall, wall exists. The QSA cannot sell stuff, but the salesperson from the same org potentially can. not uh, I've seen the, the opposite, which is even scarier, where a QSA would say, pay me more and I'll certify you without any additional changes to your network, where you really pay to not buy stuff, which to me is just as scary. So I'm not, I mean, PCI is the sales to me is, is maybe problem number 27 on the list. It's not the top five.
0: So... Um I'd like to wrap up and I, I, you know, we've debated some great points and talked about some great stuff. I, I like to wrap up in the spirit of, you know, our, our podcast and the message we want to convey to our listeners. I'd like to go around the panel and just ask everyone for their thoughts about, you know, what is your advice for someone who's working in security at an organization and has to implement some form of PCI compliance? What advice can you give them, Ron?
4: If they want to keep their day job, they better be listening to podcasts like this. So if you have friends who uh, aren't listening to this, they should go out and listen to the podcast. Um, having said that, you know, uh, you know, one of the best talks I've ever saw a long time ago, and you guys can say whatever you want, was, uh, was, was Ira Winkler I uh, gave a talk in like the late 90s about the Wizard of Oz. And the point of Wizard of Oz was you already have everything in your network, right? So Martin was saying before, a lot of times you don't need to go out and buy anything extra. A lot of us here are vendors and service providers, and, you know, we have good solutions to help, but you've got to start with what you have. If you don't know what you have, you can't put any policies in place. So you've got to
1: start and figure out what your business is and how it all aligns.
0: Yeah. Mandeep?
1: Yeah, I would just go back to uh, the point I was making earlier, which is, again, you, you start by saying, what are the fundamentals of security for me? And, and you know, how do I secure my network and desktop and, and, and uh, web applications? Then I, I, then I take the PCI standard and use it as a guideline and and look for credible solutions, look for credible vendors. I think someone earlier mentioned there are a bunch of vendors out there doing PCI compliance for $100, $200. Think, you know, you can't have someone come in and pay $200 and get a certificate. You have to know there's something wrong there, right? So think, think through those issues, but do the right things. I mean, do the right processes and the right technology, put people in place, and again, everything else will fall in place, but PCI standard, is a really good guideline document. Use that as a guideline, and I think you'll, you'll get there quick, quicker than you think.
0: Excellent. Martin?
2: You know, when I talk to merchants and service providers who are trying to put, put PCI in place, one of the things I like to do is sit down with the security administrator and say, look, what projects are you trying to get done that will meet the PCI requirements? How do we use PCI as a crowbar to get your management moving in the direction you need to get them going. A lot of these companies, if they're doing it right, it, it may be they, they started off this year or last year not compliant, but they know how, where they're going and they know how to get there. And as, as uh, Anton said, PCI makes a great motivator to get those projects that are going to secure your network done and uh, hopefully meet, PCI, uh, uh, meet the PCI DSS at the same
0: time. Uh, Rich.
6: Yeah, I think again, you know, focus on the uh, focus on your security, focus on documenting that appropriately, make a few strategic, or I'm sorry, make a few tactical investments that will help you reduce those audit costs, uh, and uh, you know, pretty much, you know, just take a very practical, pragmatic approach to it. And, and the last thing about that is, is you know, and and we need to realize this too, as well as in your own organization. Um, you know, we, we do our best to to inform the business side and to inform the business units and, and let them understand their risk and, you know, how to do the right thing. But, you know, don't lose sleep at night if that's not going to happen. Just, you know, make sure you've documented things for yourself and keep your resume up to date. But it's not worth banging your head against the wall if the business guys are going to choose to accept the risk.
0: <clears throat> Anton?
3: Yep. So, actually, I'm quite, quite amazed by the fact that we are almost giving identical advice to people. Uh, I'll try to condense mine to a one-liner. If you're facing PCI PCI project, just use it to build security. Use that tool that you're given, whether it's a sledgehammer or a baseball bat. But stop bitching about it. Use it to get security. <laughs>
7: yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very nice. I, you know that very nicely. I think sums up. Um, uh, you know the the topics that we've talked about today. Um, really the goal of this panel is to kind of air mm-hmm. out some things about PCI and, uh, you know, again, in the spirit of Paul.com, help people um, and arm them with the knowledge that they need to know to, um, you know, become compliant and use the compliance standards to their uh, best advantage, which is what I think we've given people here today. So I'd like to thank my illustrious panel uh, uh, for this roundtable, Round, uh, round Mendeep, Martin, Rich and Anton. Thank you very much uh for appearing on paul.com and participating thank and thank you thank um, you all i will make sure thank to so send much. everyone uh, a note when the uh, the audio for this uh, round table is released so thank this you very much fun. everyone Good. Thanks yeah. a lot, cool. take care Thanks, guys. bye bye
7: bye A beep Help. ups that's awesome, <laughs> that's, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome look you you guys have gotten like you know 16 laptops more than like, last year and then this is like this white like project box from radio shack <laughs> I'm like, we, have,
0: we have twitchy with us rounding up the pci round table um <laughs>
7: yeah.
0: it's good to have you back in the studio my friend uh i think we're gonna end with uh a short commercial break and then we're gonna come back with our very next round table so stay tuned